So again, I'd like to welcome all visitors who may be among us this day, uh, certainly to our Austin College family. Uh, we are so grateful that you are here at Preston Hollow this morning and to our choir, thank you so, so much. Um, I went to one of the other Presbyterian colleges that does not lead the way. <laughs> but it is so good to be a connectional church and also to be connected as Presbyterian-related institutions. Um, I know firsthand what a gift that is for a liberal arts education, for a place that taught us how to read and to write and to not check our mind at the door, and that it was our duty, dum vivimus servimus, while we live, we serve. So welcome, we are so great, grateful that you all are here, and thank you for your continued legacy. Friends, uh, if you are just joining us for the first time this morning, you need to be aware we are picking up in the middle of a conversation, a conversation that we began back uh, in September that it is exploring our new vision statement, which is trusting that all belong to God, living like we belong to one another for the month of October. We are exploring the second part of our vision statement, living like we belong to one another. And so uh, it's commitment season for the month of October. Every month of October is our opportunity to respond with the first fruits of our labors. And you hear us talk about that all the time, the first fruits of our labors. But the reality is we have very few farmers in the congregation. Where does that term first fruit come from? comes to us uh, from Levitical code, and so we're going to turn uh, to the book of Leviticus, and here's the first piece of good news this morning. Your bulletin says we're going to read uh, all of chapter 19. We're not. <laughs> we're going to read uh, verses 9 and 10, so listen now for the word of the Lord to all of us this day. When you harvest your land's produce... You must not harvest all the way to the edge of your field. And don't gather up, everything up every remaining bit of your harvest. Also, do not pick your vineyard clean or gather up all the grapes that have fallen there. Leave these. Leave these items for the poor and for the immigrant. I am the Lord your God. Friends, this is the word of our Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Remind us, O oh God, that you hover here. You hover in this very sanctuary, just as you hovered over the waters of creation. So we ask that you would create afresh and anew this very day, that you would reach across the ages and breathe new life into these ancient words, that they might be your word to us here and now. And we pray, O oh God, that you would breathe new life into the words of my mouth and into the meditations of all of our hearts, that all would be acceptable and pleasing to you, O oh God, our rock. And our Redeemer. Amen. On my 15th birthday, my parents, one of the gifts they gave me was a new international version study Bible. 
This is what I remember about that Bible. It, had, uh, it was all black except for the front cover had this giant wave on the front of it. The pages had full of uh, notes and charts and graphs. It was really meant to be a study Bible. That night of my 15th birthday, I made a goal that every night before I went to bed, I would read just a little bit of the Bible with the larger goal of reading the entire Bible. Everything was going well that first month. You know where this is headed? I read the creation stories in Genesis. I uh, then moved on to Abraham and Sarah and then Shipra and Pua, those two giants of our faith who as the first act of civil disobedience ever recorded in the Bible saved Moses, baby Moses, who then came to be the leader of the Israelites. And then I got to Leviticus. I got to tell you, every night I could read like 10 words and it was just like a sleeping pill. Put me right out. <laughs> I'll never forget, it was uh, like one Thursday evening one week, and I noticed in my Bible that the bookmark in Leviticus literally all week had not turned one page. <laughs> I wonder how many of you have uh, set out to read the entire Bible and then hit the Levitical speed bump. Maybe you hit it and so you just got stuck there right on it, or maybe you hit the gas and you just floored it and you skipped right over it. I mean, Leviticus is tough. It can be dry. It can feel old. It's made up of laws and rules and regulations and commandments. You know, sometimes uh, people say to me in passing, you know, uh, Matthew, I believe that every word in the Bible is true. And if we just live the word, we would be better people. I think this, I don't necessarily say it out loud, but I think, have you read Leviticus? <laughs> there are all kinds of commandments that would certainly derail us as Texans and certainly Dallasites. Like, for instance, touching the skin, skin of a dead pig makes one unclean. If the Cowboys uh, promise to wear gloves and to change them, Every time they touch the football this afternoon at 4.30 when they play, should they be permitted to play football? I don't know, you say. Maybe if they changed their gloves every play, they would finally win. <laughs> or how about this one? Do not eat meat with the blood still in it. That means never going to a steakhouse and getting a steak medium rare again. Say, well, you know, I uh, believe in Leviticus. I want mine super well done. It'll be chewy, but bring it on out. <laughs> or this final one. Do not wear clothing, clothing made of interwoven wool and linen. Just to let you know, I did a little checking on the tag of my robe <laughs> this morning. <laughs> and my stole, interwoven wool and linen. What are we supposed to do with Leviticus? You know, because some of the most powerful words that we know in Scripture come to us from Leviticus. Jesus one time was asked by a lawyer, 
The lawyer said, Jesus, I know that there are a ton of uh, laws and commandments. Can you just sum this up for me real quick, pal? Um, Can you distill all of the law into one? What's the greatest commandment? And Jesus says to him, uh, it's twofold. The first is, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your mind, all your soul, and with all your strength. That comes from Deuteronomy. And then Jesus says, and this is the second, love your neighbor as yourself. That's Leviticus. If Jesus elevates a a verse from Levitical code to be part of the greatest commandment, what are we supposed to do with the remaining parts of Leviticus? I think throwing them out with the baby, uh, like throwing them out like the baby with the bath water isn't the right thing to do. Cherry picking uh, the ones that fit our particular side of the argument, that's not necessarily a good thing either. See Leviticus 5. I think if we throw out all of Leviticus and we cherry-pick Leviticus that fits our argument, while that's tempting, it falls short of the wisdom and the truth and the power that Leviticus can still speak to us today. But in order to understand that wisdom and that power and that truth that we find in Leviticus, we have to go back to Exodus to understand what's happening when Levitical code was written. So here's Exodus for all of us in one minute. Got it? I'm going to skip out some stuff. I'm just going to skip over some things, so just forgive me. The Israelites, they're a people, they're a nation. And their leader, Joseph, has died. And a new Egyptian ruler, uh, a pharaoh, a, a god, has been named. And the new pharaoh doesn't care much for the Israelites, frankly, doesn't uh, appreciate them at all, because the Israelites are numbering almost 600,000 people now, and the Pharaoh is afraid that they are going to rise up against him and take him over, and so this is what the Pharaoh does. He enslaves the Israelite people. He enslaves them so they can build up storage cities. This is why a Pharaoh would want to build up storage cities, so uh, when there is a downturn in the economy, like when the market gets hit really hard and everybody is in need, those people will have to come to Pharaoh to eat and the Pharaoh can bend their will to his. So the Israelites work day after day after day and build these storage cities, or in the words of Rob Bell, The Pharaoh and the Egyptians worked the Israelites ruthlessly. They made their lives bitter with all kinds of work in the fields. The Egyptians used them ruthlessly. Let's pause here just for a second and say, um, you may use a computer. You may use a shovel. You may use a jack to jack up your car. You may even use an animal to till a field. But you don't use people. The Israelites are slaves. They're part of an entrenched system of inequality. Egypt is ordered in a particular way. Let's get sort of clear on that. Some are on top, some are on the bottom. Some people exist in Egypt to be used by others in Egypt. 
and a man named Moses is born, and God calls Moses to deliver the Israelites out of slavery, and they live in the wilderness for 40 years where God delivers them the Ten Commandments, and then they enter the Promised Land, end of Exodus, in one minute. Okay, it took me two. Here's the point. When your life has been defined by slavery, when your life is defined by a force greater than your own, and it keeps you enslaved, when your life is seen as something to be used and easily discarded, when your life has literally been trying to survive day after day after day, one day at a time, when your life has been defined by oppression and injustice, when all you have ever known is the uncertainty of wilderness living, when your life has been utter chaos, the question is this. How do you create order in your life? How do you structure a society that is more just than the land that you just came from? A society that doesn't use people. Or see them merely as tools. Society that seeks to reflect the holiness of God and the holiness of one another. These are the questions that are before the Israelites. These are the questions that those who wrote Leviticus are trying to answer. That's why there are a million laws and rules in Leviticus. Okay, they're not a million. They're 613. And while some of these laws and rules feel outdated and irrelevant to our time, the intention and the purpose behind the laws is critically important. Because Leviticus is seeking to help Israel. Leviticus is seeking to help us build a more just and fair and holy society. A more just and fair and holy society. Life. And who doesn't want that? So uh, here's the other thing we need to know. The particular uh, verses that I read uh, from the pulpit this morning come to us in a section of the book of Leviticus known as the Holiness Code. Got it? The Holiness Code. And what we read is a radical request for these Israelites, for these once maximum producers, their entire lives were determined on how much they could produce, glean, and build for Pharaoh. And Leviticus is now asking a people who literally worked 15 hours a day, seven days a week, and their entire life was dependent to make sure every grain was reaped into a basket. Leviticus is asking these efficient people not to be too efficient with their fields. Scholars tell us that this uh, Levitical code caused farmers to regraft how they feel, how they planted their fields. They would plant them in squares. And then they would harvest those fields. They would harvest in a circle. 
And so their, their, their fields that were in squares when they were harvested in circles would leave the four corners of the fields, the first fruits of their labors. And the first fruit was earmarked. Presbyterian minister uh, Scott Black Johnson asked the question that every frugal Presbyterian asked. Why this intentional wastefulness? Well, Leviticus says the, the edges of the field were to be left in this imperfectly unharvested manner so that those with no land, no capital, no means of production so that they could work and eat and live. That the poor could glean enough from the from these first fruits to make a life for themselves. God is saying to the Israelites, to these former slaves, that no one, no life is to be discounted, no life is to be thrown away. In fact, every person has a place in this nation. And that the first fruits of your fields should go to make sure that there's food for all. God builds generosity into the four corners. Generosity is built into the work and guaranteed for the least. It was the way that they lived like they belonged to one another. So the question then remains for us, right? Is generosity built into our fields here at Preston Hollow? Is generosity built into uh, the fields of your family do you leave anything in the four corners of your life? I have to tell you, uh, there was a time in my life where I didn't leave anything in the four corners of my field. There's a time in our family that I didn't feel like we could leave anything there. You know, uh, Sarah and I had just gotten married and we were uh, living in student Married, married, married student housing at Columbia Seminary. Rent was uh, $455 a month. And that included trash pickup, water, and they said pest control, but I'm not real sure on that. <laughs> but they said it was in there. Sarah just started a PA school at Emory School of Medicine. And we were living the just-married graduate school life, which meant uh, three days a week. Three days a week, we would go uh, to Raging Burrito. <laughs> We'd order one black bean burrito. One of us would cut said burrito, and the other one who didn't cut it got to pick which side we wanted. <laughs> we were still playing by those rules. We were just married. And we would eat our fill of chips and salsa. And I was working at a church. And uh, one day, our, uh, it was October, and our commitment letter came in the mail, and the little pledge card was there. And so I sat down, opened the letter, read it. It was really beautiful. Don't remember what it said, but then the card was there. And I thought I would write in our offering without talking to Sarah. So I took a pen, and I wrote right on the blank, Blood, sweat, and tears. <laughs> we 
which was not totally untrue. My uh, entire job at the church at the time was working with our middle school youth group. (laughs) And that felt like the most accurate thing I could give. So Sarah came in from class and I said to her, uh, so I, I, I took the liberty to fill out our commitment card. It's sitting right here. What do you think? Totally waiting for her to laugh. She didn't. I've gotten used to it. <laughs> and she used that opportunity uh, to ask me what we really were going to commit. She said, Matthew, maybe we should have this discussion. Um, what are we going to give this year? I said, what do you mean, what are we going to give this year? Should I remind you, we eat bean burritos three nights a week. We split them, actually. I have half of one. I have one and a half burritos a week. I still pay my taxes? Isn't that enough? What do you mean, what are we going to give? And she said, Matthew, uh, will you please name a time in our lives? Will you name a time in your life? And take all the time you need, Matthew. Name a time in your life when you have ever lacked for anything. I thought about it and I said, "Um, I really want the chicken burrito, but you say it's too expensive and you make us get the bean. (laughs) And she said, Matthew, I'm going to ask you this way. Has there ever been a time in your life in which you have never been provided for? And I said, no, not one. She said, Matthew, don't we believe in a generous God? Don't we believe in a God who is generous with love and grace and compassion, a God who has called you to seminary, a God? who has always provided for God's people, a God who calls us to be generous? Don't we believe in that God? So what are we going to give? Just a very quick aside. um, I was the one in seminary. That, uh, that evening was the, the first step for me. It was, a, it was a tiny step, but it was the first step. And leaving the first fruits out in the field. It was the, the first time in my life where uh, I was reoriented towards the generosity of God in a real tangible way. And that moment has led to 10 more years of moments just like it, where we sit down and intentionally talk about what we're going to leave in the field, our first fruits, not what's left over. Sarah taught me what it meant, in just a really small way, to live like we belong to one another. My friends, uh, the invitation. The invitation of the gospel for our lives and for the world is this. God calls us to a holier rhythm. A holier rhythm that calls us to build in generosity so that we can live out that generosity to others. To those that we belong to, our brothers and our sisters. And yes, they are all ours. 
You know, uh, Leviticus has 613 commandments in the book. You know, there are two, and that number's intentional, there are 248 positive commandments which uh, the ancient rabbis say corresponds to the number of sinews in the human body according to their science at the time. Then that leaves uh, 365 negative commandments in the book of Leviticus, a command for every day. The writer of Leviticus is trying to tell us that every fiber of our being, every limb, every breath that we take with our, our entire life is an opportunity to express this generosity and thanksgiving to God. And the invitation of Leviticus is we get to do it every single day. It's built in. It's built into how we work and how we live. And how we seek to live like we belong to one another. Can you think of better news for the world in which we live today? We are hardwired to care for one another. We're hardwired to love one another. We're invited to build it in every single day. You know, um, this command must have been really hard for the Hebrew people. People who knew hunger in a real way, people who had cried out for manna in the wilderness, it must have been really hard for them to leave four corners of their fields with perfectly good food in them. But they did. And this is how I think they did it. When you've reoriented your entire life, when you've reoriented all of your days towards thanksgiving to God and generosity to God and to one another, then inevitably what flows from your hands, what flows from your life, is generosity and thanksgiving. So, so my dear friends, may we live lives of holiness, generosity and thanksgiving, that allows us to trust that all belong to God. And a life of holiness that invites us to live like we belong to one another. Every single day of our lives. What a gift that is. Thanks be to God. Amen.